Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido. I'm a musician, songwriter, producer, composer, podcaster living in Denver, Colorado. My guests today are Sav Beist and Katie Larson from the formerly Michigan-based, now Nashville-based band, The Accidentals. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I was really excited about this conversation with Sav and Katie. And when I prepare for these interviews, I like to go back in, uh, to a couple other past interviews that the group has done or the, or the guest has done, um, listen to a couple albums, make some notes, see what they're currently up to. And the Accidentals are doing so much. That they, they have so much going on. And so I took all these notes. I'm frantically writing things down and trying to keep things in chronological order. And we start the conversation, and none of it mattered anymore. It just, it just, uh, everything was so natural. It was a great conversation. We bounced all over the place. And those are the best kinds of interviews when you can just start talking and it organically works. So this was one of those. Um, I first became aware of the Accidentals, I think about two years ago. Sav and I were both finalists in the Kerrville New Folk Songwriter Competition in 2021. Sav was one of the winners. And then I watched them back up Peter Mulvey at Folk Alliance in May. And then just a, a couple months ago in October, I saw them perform uh, a private showcase at Farm, Folk Alliance Region Midwest, which is where, uh, which is the general area where they are from. Uh, Sav and Katie met in high school in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, the Moxie Strings came to perform at their high school, and they were inspired. Um, and now, as a result, they they travel and do things for schools. They do a, a lot for youth. Um, and after they met, became friends. They decided to go to the Interlock and Arts Academy, where Katie's parents work, and they've been playing music together ever since. Things have really taken off for them. Um, they eventually added a drummer, drummer Michael Doss, uh, that they met at Bliss Fest, and they've had press and coverage from outlets like NPR, Huffington Post, and Billboard. They signed with Sony Masterworks label uh, for their album Odyssey, which came out in 2017. They scored the indie documentary One Simple Question and their song Marrow uh, was used in Almost Home. And that's just scratching the surface. Uh, they they have a nonprofit called Play It Forward. They're very active on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Accidentals. Uh, they do all kinds of different fun things on their Patreon. We talk about it a bit, um, kind of what they do that's that's unique uh, with their Patreon. They're touring all the time. They're recording all their own stuff at home in the home studio. They have an album. Uh, they've got several stuff coming out. They're working on a covers album, Time Out 3, which is the sequel to Time Out 1 and Time Out 2, which is co-writes with people who inspired them to be writers. They're working on a kid's record with Tom Paxton, and recently, Sav took the grand prize in the USA songwriting competition. A couple quick things before we jump into the interview. Uh, first off, a thanks to our sponsor, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratormusic.com. 
And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor for the podcast, it's very reasonably priced. Um, we can work out a 15-second or a 30-second or a 45-second um, spot for you. Shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. I'm just opening this up to a couple new sponsors um, now that uh, I've started season five here. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sido. S-Y-D-O-W. You can support for as little as $3 a month. Sometimes I put out the episodes early or special clips from the episodes. For instance, um, I had Mickey Raphael on, who's been the harmonica player in Willie Nelson's band since the start. And I put up some additional content on the Patreon that does not appear on, uh, on the actual podcast episode that went out to the rest of the public. I also just did an album where I arranged... Um, parts for a string quartet and a horn. It's just me with with those five instruments. We're sitting in a circle, and we do the whole album that way. It's really, really cool. And not only will you be getting that stuff early, there's going to be some footage where I talk about the parts and where I put things where and why I arranged it the way I did, and I'm also going to be putting up the actual scores. So if you want to just download the music and, and actually look at the violin part um, or the cello part or whatever, that's going to be available as well in the near future. I do a lot of other things on uh, on the Patreon too. If you'd like to support in a non-monetary way, please give this podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It just takes a second and it really uh, is a huge help. All right, let's jump in and do the show. My conversation with Sav, Beist, and Katie Larson of The Accidentals. <laughs> Sav and Katie from the Accidentals are joining me uh, from different parts of the country. How are you guys doing? Good. This is uh, pretty normal for us to be tuning in from different parts of the country at this point. Uh, I'm in Nashville. Kate's in Utah. Yeah, I've gotten... I was just talking to someone about... um, getting used to traveling again after the huge, you know, expanse of 2020 and 2021, like Sav and I had to get back in the habit of like getting our tiny toothpastes and, you know, getting back on a plane. And so, yeah, we've been traveling quite a bit, um, but yeah. looking forward to, uh, you know, settling down a bit in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I know, um, as we were commenting earlier, Oh, is that a cat? My cat Nashville. <laughs> That's your cat, Nashville. Oh, my. How he wants cute. to join the interview. He <laughs> wants in. Um, I was going to say, you look uh, right at home there, Sav, as we were talking about earlier. You've got a cactus blanket of some sort in the background and, uh, and, and a cat trying to get into the window. Uh-huh. Uh, this is my studio area. We call it Crooked Moon Studios because we have a picture of the moon in here that won't hang straight. Uh, the fan gave us and it's signed by like five astronauts and like at that point we just needed to make it all about that but uh the studio <laughs> itself is super cool we've recorded our last three albums here so yeah it's nice tell me so you guys are recording completely at i mean at home at this point yeah pretty yeah. much even the, i had session work booked uh with a couple people down here in Nashville, and every time I tried to go in, there would be a COVID outbreak, so I'd end up recording everything here. So, yeah, it's been mostly here since we got to Nashville, funnily enough. And are you uh, engineering and mixing everything yourselves as well? 
Um, Kate and I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I hate mixing, but I like yeah. engineering. So I usually engineer and Kate engineers, and then we'll send it to Michael or our friend Mills Logan for mixing. Wow. So it's truly, it's all, it's all, uh, in house. Oh yeah. I actually, um, I'm certified in audio technology from, uh, the first college I went to. I'm currently going to school for something else now, but, uh, but yeah, like my first real love was audio tech and. Uh, we still, and also, you know, Kate and Michael and I have been building PA systems for like 11 years. <laughs> we were touring with yeah. one, so. Building you know. PA systems? You mean like putting wires together and stuff like that? Oh yeah. Like, you know, we had to carry our own sound system for like the first couple of years. It was my parents' sound system actually, cause they're musicians. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, the first thing we did was have to learn, like, how do we put this up within the hour because we're playing this wedding gig and we have to have everything ready to go. And like, yeah, <laughs> uh, I recently it's not audio tech, but like I um, I've been to like a couple of guitar tech workshops and learned how to solder. And there's almost nothing as satisfying as like whipping out my electric guitar in the middle of an emergency and just being able to like fix it and then have it work um yeah just like a really good example we've like pretty much we've we've tried to be diy you know for a long time we had a, like a short label deal um you know here and there but mostly like we're pretty hands-on with whatever we try yeah we're really nerdy and we tend to use that to uh, make things happen so i love it i love it and i mean just talking about your home studio for for one more second i mean how in your guys' eyes, how fancy is it? If we're talking about, you know, you've got your you've got your top line, uh, how you know seven hundred and fifty eight hundred dollar a day studio. Actually, they're probably a lot more than that. But you know, fancy fancy studio. You've got the home studio where you've got like a two channel interface and one microphone. I mean, where in between does your studio sit? Oh, somewhere like twenty five percent of the way above, like a, a two channel. We have like. The thing is we're sponsored by these gear companies like Boss Roland and Fender and Shore and Takamini. So the gear is there, you know, like we took basically everything that was in the trailer and brought it inside. And just from that alone, like we feel really confident about getting the right sound. Um, and that paired with like our audio tech experience helps a lot. But as far as like, you know, this is we've recorded like in different parts of the house and like made that work, you know, and then the fireplace itself is a good diffuser. Dominic Davis. Uh, he's a great bass player from Michigan. He ta taught me the trick about making, if you're going to have bookshelves in here, you have to like alternate the book covers facing out and in to help create a sound diffuser naturally. So, you know, it's got all the parts. I remember we wow. first built a home studio in Northern Michigan and we like, didn't know what we were doing. So we took a mattress and we like flipped it sideways. So it'd be a good sound diffuser for the drum kit. And we like thumbtacked blankets to the ceiling and took those cardboard boxes of CDs and stacked them in the wall <laughs> and threw blankets over them. So like this yeah. is an upgrade from that, I would say. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not super fancy. All of the XLRs have cat teeth marks and bites <laughs> and things. We had spiders. We had spiders in the studio a few weeks ago which was uh, terrifying. They were yeah, like being from Northern Michigan, we don't see spiders like the ones that live in Nashville. So we actually had like maybe five or six brown recluse here. I had to call like an exterminator to get rid of them, which was heartbreaking, but also, you know, necessary at that point. Cause Kate and I like, <laughs> we took it upon ourselves to clean out the studio. And at one point Kate like 
unfolded a cardboard box and a brown recluse fell out and we were screaming. I took the uh, vacuum cleaner, just held it over the spider and waited. Oh it my was gosh. Erratic. So yeah, different pros and cons, you know, um, we're fancy now. We don't have spiders. So give us a call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, if you, yeah. Recording at your studio, no spiders. Yeah. Great. Not a guarantee for every studio, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I bet, I bet. Um, so jumping back a little bit, um, you two met in high school in Traverse City, Michigan, and uh, you ended up, you were both classical players, string players. Um, the Moxie strings came to your high school, right? And and you were inspired and kind of started your own project. Is that all mostly correct? Super close. I would not call us classical players <laughs> by any means. I think uh, it's a stretch, you know. We came yeah. up in, like, the Philharmonic world a little bit, but I think what was most inspirational from that time was our orchestra teacher, Anne-Marie Jones, like, went out of her way to help diversify the genres in that, you know, public high school orchestra world. So she actually uh, she convinced the school to invest in, like, electric, viola, violin, cello, and bass for everybody to try. So she had like a little quartet of electric string instruments. And not only that, but she started the Alternative Styles for Strings Club, which is where Katie and I actually got together and would cover Led Zeppelin arrangements that she bought online or like, you know, Coldplay arrangements or whatever, what have you. But, uh, you know, that diversification and that kind of, um, uh, I guess we were being shown how you could take a string instrument that mostly lives in the classical world and use it for things beyond that. So... Yeah, classical, I don't know if we would call ourselves that necessarily because, you know, our technique is more, um, you know, I guess it's more aimed at like folk and rock worlds. You know, we'll sacrifice a little bit of technique to get the right sound that we want. But, but you know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I would, I, I don't know. We're not like yeah. doing like Tchaikovsky anymore. <laughs> right. Know? Sure. Like, oh man, we did an album with the Kaboom collective they're like yeah. the siege orchestra out in cleveland ohio and those guys those guys are classical and can do basically anything you throw at them i would call them classical players i don't know if i auditioned on violin if i could get into the kaboom collective because they're pretty pretty talented in that regard well in the kaboom collective that's all youth right F uh, 15 to 25 years old is makes mm -hmm. up the whole orchestra yeah, yeah, it's a it's actually a new project um, that was started by the conductor Liza Grossman. She used to run the Contemporary Youth Orchestra, who we collaborated with, um, I think, in 2019. And like coming out of COVID, like Liza had this amazing idea for a totally different youth orchestra where um, there's nothing like it in the U.S. because it's production based and hands on. So, you know, Sav and I would have loved to be in this orchestra when we were 15. Um, because they're learning how to record and do alternative styles, you know, like they have one project where they have a uh, composition team of students uh, and the recording team of students and they do like a film score. They also do like a video game score and animation. Uh, and then the other project for this year was they did an album with us where they arranged all the parts for songs that we'd put out over the last um, 10 years that we'd always wanted to re-record. And so they did their own arrangements and 
recorded parts and it sounded so cool that we asked them to go on tour with us afterwards and we planned like a whole week and a half run across the midwest uh over the summer well what's incredible about that program too is that they walk away with studio credit at age 15 you know that's like not really something you hear about all that often so they give them imdb credits on everything right yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just totally. like you're like oh yeah i've already yeah. played on three albums and i'm you know 14. <laughs> it's really really cool that's incredible and, when, and i was i wanted let's just jump into the orchestra thing now because i was i'm fascinated by it first off um I, you know, I know that was the first thing you guys did with an orchestra. That was the uh, Requiem of a Lark with Contemporary yeah. Youth Orchestra. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Or, well, yeah. With CYO. We've done a few orchestra collabs before that in, um, in Traverse City, TSO, I think. Um, and CYO, the Civic Youth Orchestra as well. Mm -hmm. So how did that first start happening where you ha you guys have this band together that plays all different types of genres? Um and then you start doing stuff with, I mean, you're both string players, but what, how did this start happening where you're playing with orchestras? Well, there's this really cool movement happening in uh, the orchestra world where we're finding ways to collaborate, you know, like Ben Folds did a whole record with the Nashville Symphony Orchestra, Radioheads and stuff, and Elbow with the London Symphony Orchestra, you know. Um, yeah. It's really cool to watch those collaborations happen. And a lot of our teachers, uh, who taught us what we know about playing violin and cello, they're in the Traverse Symphony Orchestra. So it felt kind of seamless. Uh, I remember um, there's a friend of ours named Sam Porter who um, lives in Traverse City and helps put together a lot of really cool gigs, but he was like, wouldn't it be cool if you guys uh, took one of your original songs and made an arrangement for the TSO? And I was like, yeah, that would be cool. He's like, right, so you're going to do that, right? And I was 19 at the time and doing like final exams for audio. I was like mixing and engineering an album. And uh, and at the same time, I took on like this gig to arrange for a 72 piece orchestra full of my old orchestra teachers, which I'd never done before. So I downloaded like Finale, which is this scoring program. And I like figured it out piece by piece. I remember going to every single one of the faculty at Northwestern Michigan College who played an instrument that I couldn't play and having them look at the part and be like, does this work? Does this exist in your range? And they'd be like, yeah, you forgot to put breath marks. So now they're just going to like turn blue and pass out. Like you have to put breath marks in these for, you know, so that was like, yeah. that was my first time getting into that. But Kate has like this history too of like, you know, you had Finale or Sibelius or MuseScore at your fingertips from like an early age, right? Yeah, I remember sitting down at um, my parents' like humongous, chunky old 2000s computer, and um, my dad, uh, he's a pianist. Um, he works with a lot of dance uh, companies, and so he composes as well, and he had the notation software finale on the computer, and I would just get on there and like, at like 10 years old, just like hit random buttons, like just to listen to the MIDI playback, you know, yeah, and I would yeah. compose these weird songs before I ever like started writing any songs with lyrics. So, yeah, I think we we both definitely have a, a passion for seeking out those opportunities. Um, you know, we have it's there's a lot of schools who want to do what our high school did with the Moxie strings, you know, you know, what I mean, like our school brought this group in to do a workshop and a clinic and a performance um, and it changed our lives. So we do a lot is, you know, we reach out to schools or schools reach out to us and 
you know, we do similar things on the road where if we're on tour, we'll do a pit stop and uh, give scores out to a youth orchestra at a middle school or a high school. And we'll do like an improv workshop. And then at the end of the night, we'll like do a performance for the community with the students. So that's a pretty common thing for us as well. And how does that work? It, the students are playing like an accidentals song with you guys or how does that final concert work? Sorry, I was muted because there's a claim. <laughs> I'm close to the airport. Uh, yeah, so they play like typically either we or a friend of ours write a, an arrangement for however the orchestra is configured, and then we'll play an accidental song together, which is amazing. There's nothing quite uh, like hearing like a full orchestra in like three dimensional sound around you as you're playing a song that you wrote in your room when you were feeling really sad when you were like 15. You know, it's it's yeah. kind of surreal. So. Yeah. And you write those arrangements when you when you go to the schools. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, we've done it a lot in the past uh, with the Kaboom Collective. What's really cool is the students themselves wrote those arrangements. So yeah. um, and we can just like continue to take those arrangements beyond just the Kaboom Collective and like take them into other schools and collaborate in that way, which I think is what it's really all about. You know, I think it's cool that this movement exists. Um, there's it's just this idea of collaboration that I think is super necessary for this time. And, um, you know, there's also the promise that like, if you, if you don't feel like you quite fit into the classical world, like how we felt, then there is a world beyond that where you can, you know, continue to make money and be sustainable, but also, you know, have fun and try new things and do all kinds of weird gigs, you know, it's really important. Well, and that album you did with the Kaboom Collective, Reimagined, is your most recent full length. Came out just uh, at the end of July, I believe. Um, and you t- you toured it with them, and and I think it's so cool that they're a youth orchestra too. Um, so what? How how was the logistically does touring an album like that work? I mean, I I think it'd be tough to you know pay for fifty hotel rooms or whatever, right? I'm not going to lie to you. That was one of the hardest tours we've ever been on, not just because of the logistics, but because almost everything went wrong in various ways. Like first day before rehearsal even started, I got COVID. So I missed five shows out of the eight. Um, And Kate had to learn every single one of my songs. Katie and Michael had to like learn them and sing them without me, uh, which is and they had like 48 hours to do that to learn every wow. single song we had planned with the orchestra. And you can't change the keys because the orchestra has learned that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I sing in a very different range in set. My songs are this, my songs are a lot lower. And so here I am, like, I woke up at like 6 a.m. one morning and like printed out all of Sav's lyrics. And I was like, geez, how did she sing this high in high school? <laughs> uh, actually, Michael sang a couple of Sav songs too, just because he's got the high, he's probably got the widest vocal range. Our drummer, Michael, he's got the best voice out of any of us because he, he was a choir kid and a theater kid. Um, so yeah, that was, it was a little chaotic. Our tour manager also got COVID after a few days. Yeah. Um, I mean, and- luckily, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say like luckily we didn't like all because we all caught it early enough nobody else got sick on that tour and they were testing every single day and you know everything else went pretty good like you know i want to do a huge shout out to amber bias because she helped coordinate like 90 percent of that thing 
uh, with Liza Grossman and the whole Kaboom team. And they managed to like make this tour really cool, really engaging. They got everybody fed on time. They got hotel rooms for everybody. It was kind of a miracle. I know that she slept for like 36 hours after that. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was not easy. But, um, but yeah, on top of that, you know, we had, uh, I remember at one point, we were in Grand Rapids playing at Frederick Meyer Gardens. We were doing like a rehearsal and the heat from the sun on the stage melted the bass player's bass and it cracked into like, it, I think there was like um some glue that like caused it to fall apart. So we had to like find a, a Grand Rapids musician who could lend us a bass and luckily we did, which was awesome. And then, you know, we were able to continue, but like stuff like that happened on the daily and that already happens on the daily with a band like The Accidentals. But when you're carrying a 40 piece orchestra, it just makes everything that much more chaotic. So yeah, uh, I asked oh, a couple God. students at the end, I was like, I hope that like this didn't scare you away from touring but like the students um one of them was a clarinet player and she just came up and she was like that was the coolest um thing i've ever done like tour was so much fun and i'm sad that it's ending and a couple students too i mean they're coming off of high school in the middle of a pandemic right and so they've they've kind of been stuck at home for a few years and a few of them uh you know it's like sav and i we we kind of like found our own route you know out of uh, classical orchestra and found something that we really enjoy with you know arranging and different styles and i think some of those students too a lot of them are just like weird oddballs like us you know and, and one of them told me they they kind of like fell in love with music again through this experience because something about playing in front of an audience i mean the grand the grand rapid show we had four thousand people in the crowd and the students were just like you know, there's nothing like having a live feedback from an audience like that and sharing your music on that sort of level. They so probably they had loved a, the they, chaos. They had a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were into it. It was great. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some ups. There were some downs. <laughs> there was a ferry ride in which everyone lost their lunch. Uh, so, and not just like the Kaboom Collective and us. It was like everybody on the boat was having a hard time. So, um, yeah, it was a nightmare. But there were all you, kinds of stuff happened. <laughs> you brought 4,000 people out in grand rapids on a tuesday night it was crazy i that was the first show i got back to after so the thing about when i got covid i didn't like just stop and like hang out in a place i had a different car i was borrowing our manager's car and i was driving from place to place and then getting to the hotel room and then going in and like heating up cans of soup and like little bowls that I was getting from Kroger delivered to the hotel room and then you know the next day after the gig I'd pack up and I'd drive over to the next place and I was just waiting for myself to recover and after six days obviously I wasn't getting better because like I was driving all the time <laughs> and trying to keep up with the pace of tour so I had to call my doctor and like she had to like prescribe steroids because I was just not getting any better and then luckily I was able to bounce back after that and I stopped testing positive so I joined for the Frederick Meyer show and um that was like I remember being so bewildered because first of all everything sounded amazing but then also like so, I, because I wasn't at rehearsals some things had been changed without me knowing so like you know the structures of songs had changed I'm playing playing bass and at some points I just had to like watch Katie and she would like mouth to me from like 30 feet across the stage what we were going to do next or she would gesture with her guitar that she's going to like jump off and go trade solos with somebody so I just need to keep doing what I'm doing like stuff like that was happening on the fly 
Uh, there were two songs I'd never even played because I hadn't had access to an instrument for 10 days. And I just had a chart at my feet in front of me and I would just look down and look up and look down and look up. I'm like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is happening. So that was like, and 4,000 people were there. So I really had to like focus in. That was one of the craziest gigs of my entire life. Um, but yeah, I was, it was amazing coming back though, because I, I, first of all, I was so bummed to miss so much of it. But those last three days in Michigan were like the days that like, I couldn't have missed, you know, I'm really glad that I was able to recover in time. Well, and I mean, 4,000 people, you're like the, the accidentals are like the Bruce Springsteen of Michigan. <laughs> Can we quote that on the website? Yeah. Put that on the website, <laughs> but say that Dave Matthews said it or something. I don't no, know. They, they came for the orchestra. Yeah. We were secondary. <laughs> what now when you're, they don't sound like a youth orchestra, right? I, I didn't know that until I looked it up. And I mean, to the average year, what's the difference between a youth orchestra and a not youth orchestra? I, I don't know. Um, the yeah. few extra years of experience, but it sounds very professional and very well done. And if, if you just said, uh, hey, this is the Colorado Symphony, I would, I would have been like, cool. Yeah, it was the Colorado Symphony. Um, that Sorry, that's... Uh, I forget not everyone's from Colorado. That's our cool. main professional orchestra. <laughs> so... Um, in terms of, I mean, in terms of arrangements, how good are these players as at that age? I mean, I so one of my jobs for this record, um, I'm actually put down as like an assistant engineer because I didn't record those parts, but I did go through every single one of them, comp them, like, you know, take parts that were a little out of tune and I put a note that was in tune into place. And like, granted, I didn't have to do too much of that, but like, you know, going through the parts, all that to say, going through each individual track um, was incredible because it gave me like a real sense of how talented these kids are. Um, the concert master, Aiden, they play violin. And I remember there's like a song of ours called Nightlife. And there's this like gorgeous little solo that Aiden took. And I was just like, I yeah. cannot even believe this person is 18 years old. Like, it's just like... I don't know it's not just the technically proficient it's also emotionally proficient which sometimes you miss out like sometimes people miss the emotional part because they're focused so hard on getting the notes right and these kids have both which is such an amazing skill set to have at such a young age so um for me there yeah. really isn't too much of a difference you know um i guess just being able to diversify like that and being able to treat every single piece of music that comes to your door with the same amount of, you know, technical and emotional proficiency. Um, I don't know if that's something that you find in every orchestra, but you sure do find it with the Kaboom Collective. Uh, well, I, I just think the, the concept is really neat. And I hope they're doing that kind of thing all over the country because it's really, it's really cool. And in general, um, your band, I, I think just does so much, has so much emphasis on collaboration. Um, I, I mean, we could, I think we could talk about that for days and Sav, you touched on it a little bit about how important it is. Um, but whether it be, um, you know, having people like Keller Williams sit in and play on a song on one of your albums or doing an album with a uke orchestra or your, uh, across the universe with Lily and Madeline, um, you're all, you guys are always collaborating. You've got a Patreon, you've got, uh, Play it forward is your is your nonprofit. I mean, how important how important is collaboration and how natural is it 
for I, I, because I I just come. I'm asking that from a perspective of sometimes it's hard to ask people to collaborate and sometimes it's hard to um, accept a collaboration, right? Because uh, different is is different and you can be in your own little world and what you're trying to do. So, I mean, what does collaboration mean, um, you know, mean for you guys? Yeah, I mean, that was like such a huge part of how we got started. You know, uh, being string players, we felt like we could provide string arrangements for people so it was a pretty so it was something we could do is like offer string parts be like hey if you ever need any like violin or cello on your on your album and you're getting ready to record like let us know and we can come in and do stuff either by ear or if you have a part that you want us to read we can do that too so having that versatility was obviously like an extra bonus uh that we could use to ask those kinds of questions but also uh, we got our start playing like a bunch of coffee shops and breweries in northern Michigan and we'd meet all kinds of musicians in the area like that and honestly like we would we had a tendency to just ask for what we needed because that was the motto ingrained into us by my my parents like at a really early age you know like don't be yeah. afraid for what you need we are introverted <laughs> it's uh, very necessary to hear that for sure. Uh, but you know, what's it's funny too, because also those musicians never hesitated to take us under their wing and like really work with us. So like the Crane Wives come to mind, like Elliot comes to mind, uh, Elizabeth Landry comes to mind, like all these people in Northern Michigan uh, just really came around us and were super supportive. They'd be like, hey, do you want to open for us at this gig? Or do you want to sit in on a song with us? And um, also having that trust, you know, we earned trust by you know, really paying attention closely to what their music was trying to say and then trying to accentuate that rather than be like anything more than that. Because music ultimately is a conversation and you can always tell who's talking too much or who's not talking enough or who is listening. Um, so, you know, we tried to do that when we went in. Um, but yeah, that collaboration has continued to this day. We do a ton of co-writing with people which is like Nashville's way of getting a cup of coffee, you know? You get together and you trauma dump, and then you're best friends after that. doesn't matter if you're meeting for the first time, you know? You trauma dump and you write this song from this point of, like, genuine honesty, and then after that, you guys are just tight. So it makes collaborating really easy because competition is so much harder, you know? Nobody nobody feels good competing in a in an artistic sense, you know? Um, especially because art is so subjective. So collaborating is much easier and much more fulfilling. And, you know, we try to try to do that wherever we are, really. And I, I know there's, well, actually, before I ask that, you, you've both said multiple times in other interviews, and, and uh, Katie just mentioned it too, that you're both introverted. Um, you're co-front uh, front people for for this band. So to an extent, I mean, even if you're introverted to an extent too bad, right? Cause you, you <laughs> have to, uh, front a band together. Uh, the fact that there's two of you and you're both introverted, are there certain tasks that you try to pawn off on each other? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we definitely take turns. We're like, Hey, could you reach out to this person? <laughs> yeah. I reached out to this person. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. also, neither of us like to be the center of attention, so we tend to pass around singing lead like it's a hot potato. It's like, you take it. No, 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 you take it. Like, you yeah. take the song. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Especially, I've been submitting for a lot of, like, songwriting competitions with a couple of my songs at, you know, recommendation from managers and booking agents because we're doing so much 
co-writing and we wanted to kind of show that we're lyricists too, not just musicians. So I've been submitting these songs and then um, the songs get accepted and I have to fly somewhere and play a solo gig. And that has been so terrifying. My knees shake the whole time because I've never done anything without Katie in like 11 years, you know? We're we're very like in a, and we have this like relationship where we can pass things back and forth in a very healthy way and support each other where we need it. So it's really weird not to have that kind of support in a proximity sense. Like, I mean, we, what would you say? We've probably spend like 300 days out of the year in the same space as each other. Yeah, absolutely. We spent yeah. more time around each other than any other, any other relationship, you know, in any facet of our lives. And, um, I mean, we like really look up to artists like the Indigo Girls, you know, who they met in elementary school, collaborated in high school. And uh, I want to say what, like more than 40 years they've been uh, working together. I mean, wow. We just we just saw them do a panel at Americana Fest and um, Ann Powers from NPR was interviewing them. And Sav and I just kept geeking out the whole time because they would they would they kept saying things like, you know, be like, oh, we met in high school, you know, and then they would say like, yeah, we just picked up instruments because, you know, like, why not? Like, why not play banjo? You know, and we're like, oh, that's how we look at it. Like, why not pick up a random instrument, you know? So there's someone yeah. who we really, we try to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. Speaking of the songwriter competitions, uh, Sav, you just took first prize in the USA songwriting competition. So first of all, congrats. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a wild ride. I kept getting these spam calls from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and at the same time, like you know, it's the end of the year. My healthcare is like, hey, you need to switch healthcare plans. So I thought it was that. Um, and so I was just letting all these spam calls go to voicemail and then not checking my voicemail because I thought it would say what they've been saying, like, hey, you should switch healthcare in 2023. Yeah. Um, and so you know, there's one night after like a week of this, you know. Um, there's one night where like I get the call from Fort Lauderdale twice in a row and I'm like that's weird so I pick up the second one and it's like hey is this Sav I'm like who is this and they're like this is the USA songwriting competition we've been trying to get a hold of you for like a week you won like the first what? place uh, in the full category and then I misheard them and I thought they said and you won third overall and I was like wow that's great awesome so then they send this affidavit over and it says overall grand prize winner and so I emailed them like hey I think this is a typo like I'm pretty sure I got third overall I just want to clarify they were like no dude you won first <laughs> so um yeah I feel bad um and I just got an email recently where they were like hey make sure you're checking your spam folder because we're not spam so you know but uh but they're super cool and I was it was absolutely surreal my booking agent Dennis um from Black Oak Artists he recommended that I submit a couple songs so I was not expecting anything to happen out of that and I'm still absorbing that it's real so yeah yeah crazy was that a co-write or was that a solo write that was a solo right I wrote the song the line uh which is all about you know uh, it was during a time where like it felt like there was like another wildfire or another flood or another threat of like World War Three on the line. And I was just having a really hard time processing like how much good does it do to sit in my room and write songs about it. 
And, you know, what can I actually do to change any of this? It feels like nothing will ever help it, you know? And then at the same time, my friend from childhood had, um, he'd taken his own life. And so I, like, this is like October of 2019. And I just had like no way to process that, you know? I didn't know um, how to find closure in it. So I did what I like to call doing something cheaper than therapy, which is writing songs. And that song came out of it. And I'm really like, I think it's pretty incredible that they were able, the judges were able to like resonate with that and that people who listen to it find a little bit of healing too. There's a line that's really important to me in that song called like, you are more than what you carry. You're more than what you hide. You will never know how much you leave behind. And that's something I really hope people take away as like the message in that song. Because I needed to hear it at the time, you know. Cheaper than therapy. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, I don't maybe that's a, maybe that's another song title. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. And what, I mean, what does the grand prize winner of the USA songwriting competition get? So it's a $50,000 between merch and cash. So, and I still don't really know. Like, I know that they are sponsored by all these, like, incredible radio and uh, audio gear companies. So I know that, like, Audio Technica is part of it. Um, There's some radio uh, promotion agencies that are, like, I'm working with right now. And then there's a cash prize. I don't know how much is actually cash. But, um, but yeah, it's crazy. I Like, it's all happening right now, kind of. So, um it's piece piece by piece. I'm like learning more and more about what that actually entails. I heard a rumor about a Fender Stratocaster coming in the mail, which I will definitely be putting that to good use. So, wow, yeah, that's got to be pretty surreal right now. Then, yeah, I I keep waiting to like wake up, you know, be like, haha, that was a good one, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I I I know the two of you uh, are active on Patreon in in fostering your community patreon is an interesting thing because it, it's no secret anymore um a, a lot of artists are on patreon um it's difficult to be consistent on it it's difficult to really uh get a bunch of people signed up but i think most artists desire to have a patreon have a working patreon you two do how did you start your patreon and what do you do that's unique yeah, Patreon, um, I mean, the reason we really like it is different than we've, we've had a lot of experience crowdfunding. Um, like I said, we are really DIY. And so our first tour to South by Southwest was crowdfunded, you know, or, you know, sometimes we try to raise money for an instrument for a student we meet at a workshop and that's crowdfunded. The great thing about Patreon is that um, our friend Megan Slankard, uh, she describes it as like Netflix for music lovers, you know, so people can go on and instead of like, instead of, you know, giving like a one time payment or us being like, hey, we'll do this for this amount of money. um, We do like monthly things and it's all behind the scenes and interactive and we try to tie it into our music. Um, But sometimes it's just for fun. Like we started it uh, after our band and trailer, uh, after our, our trailer was stolen uh, with all of our gear in 2019 and then our car got totaled and right after we put a new transmission in it and like we were we were tired of like you know asking for help uh but we started the patreon and then people 
started doing like fun things with us. We started um, a book club in 2020. Uh, we started a throwback album review. Then we meet once a month with our patrons and they suggest uh, records that, you know, maybe their favorite record or the first thing they ever bought on vinyl. Um, and we just talk about it on Zoom like a book club. And sometimes we get to bring in um, the artists to talk about their albums on Zoom or we get to bring in the authors to talk about their books on Zoom. Um, we share demos. Uh, we are currently getting ready to send uh, 250 Christmas cards in the mail, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, it's very, it's, it's very interactive. A lot of these patrons, we, you know, we, we do things in real life, you know, we, we see them at shows, we, we have real life relationships. Yeah, yeah. And how many, do you, do you know the exact number of how many patrons you have signed up right now? Around 250. It kind of fluctuates between like 240, 250 right now. But uh, well, we're doing actually a collaborative uh, thing again on it. Like typically with our Patreon, we'll find somebody else who's either starting a Patreon or has an established Patreon, and we'll get together and like collaborate on a song and then direct each other's patrons towards each other's platforms, which is super cool. Oh. And that's you know Megan Slanker did that with us. Good morning, Begums, another one. We're doing one with Patty Perchela pretty soon here. So you know that's really cool. Cool. Um, a couple other projects coming up. Um, you've done a couple time. Uh, I will call it the timeout series. Um, yeah, it's about to be a trilogy. Um, <laughs> just like all those Star Wars movies. Yeah, and, no, I love that. Really good. Um, there was timeout one and timeout two, and now you're about to uh, put out your third timeout at some point. I don't know the release date, but that is co-writes that you do with people who inspired you to be writers. What an interesting concept. Um, what, what can we expect with the, with timeout three? Yeah. You know, it started, uh, during the pandemic because everybody's touring schedules had ground to a halt. So when we reached out to people, uh, they couldn't say no, you know, yeah. <laughs> anything going on. So, um, but we'd done co-writes with Beth Nielsen Chapman. She was our first co-write, which is kind of uh, mind-blowing because she's like a Hall of Fame writer. And so we were super nervous when that got on the books. And she's such an incredible presence. She just made the whole process super easy, and we felt a lot more confident about it. I think a lot of people are really scared of co-writing because you are worried about – it's like the same reasons why introverts are scared to go out to a, a dinner party. You know, you don't want to look dumb, and you don't want to, like, trip over your words, and it's just, like, all kinds of fears that introverts just naturally have, you know? So, um, like, when it came to co-writing with Beth, she just kind of showed us, like, no, this is – this is the dinner party etiquette, which is to say there's not a whole lot of rules. You know, you just pitch ideas. There's no such thing as a stupid idea, you know, um, and you just keep trying until you get the best line and the most honest line. So, you know, from her, we went to Maya Sharp and she's an incredible writer. And then uh, when the pandemic happened, we started writing over Zoom with people like Kim Ritchie. Um, our song Wildfire hit like number one on the folk chart last year. Um, and so, it, you know, like collaborations like that are not just fruitful for your, you know, your internal like need to write and process. It's also like that collaboration proves, you know, to be sometimes more successful than trying to do it all by yourself, you know. And so uh, after Kim, we worked with Gary and Georgia, Gary Burr and Georgia Middleman, uh, Peter Mulvey. We did a co-write with him. He's pretty awesome. Uh, 
And right now with Time Out 3, uh, first of all, we've been writing every Monday with Tom Paxton, who's this legendary writer. Um, he's really great. He's like 84 years old and just crushing it. He writes more songs than anybody I know. You're the um, third person in the last month that I've talked to that has not that is not just written with Tom Paxton, but has a weekly date with Tom Paxton. Yes. And he's like he's like rigorous about it, you know, because it's he's proven to us so like writing regularly helps you write regularly <laughs> yeah, yeah. um it's so important so but you know so like timeout three we've already been working with people like susan warner and roger cook and holly near um and just like people who have done amazing things in the folk world you know not just on a musical level but on an activism level um and so we're just really honored to work with work with those people and we're looking forward to getting those songs and recording them so is is there a, a not no release date yet for it it's definitely happening in 2023 we're gonna get it done within the year the the thing is like we have so many albums on the docket right now uh that it is kind of insane so right now we're working on a covers album uh and it would be the third project we've done this year because the first project was Time Out 2, and then we had the Kaboom record, and now we're working on the covers record. So that's three in a year. Um, and then after the covers record, we're going to start doing Time Out 3, and also we've been working on a kids record with Tom Paxton. So there's just a lot of stuff in the in the works, but by 2023 for sure. Um, hoping, like, you know, maybe early summer, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to not burn ourselves out trying to make a hell happen you know from a marketing standpoint you hear a lot of different philosophies about how often you should release music and how you should release music do you get do you put a whole lot of thought into that or is it more we just want to do cool shit that we like and we're gonna put it out um i try to be strategic i mean like we have like big shout out to jay gilbert from label logic um he's got a great newsletter called uh, your morning coffee and we hit him up all the time and our manager uh is you know amazing like queen of marketing you know so um we we try to put things out quickly i mean that's that's the big uh adaptation right now you know like we're trying to get into TikTok. i mean everything is uh constant content you know what i mean um, yeah. But we find a way of like balancing the the drive for constant content with trying to find uh, things we actually enjoy, you know, like, uh, which I think that's kind of the positive thing is there, there are a ton of niches out there, you know, so we say like, it yeah. just depends on demographic too, you know, like, it depends on what your goals are, what you think success is, and who you're trying to talk to. Um, all those things determine how much content you should put out and what kind of content. Um, you know, so for us, we try to keep it pretty consistent because yeah. we have like a lot of like really cool, like nerdy, queer, like band and orchestra kids who are tuning in. And we also have like a lot of families and a lot of people who, you know, like like love led zeppelin and rush and like you know crazily enough um so you know it's it's fans so we kind of have to hit like every single base you know and that so that kind of just requires putting out all different kinds of stuff like all the time true you were signed to sony masterworks for a little while was that between vessel and uh an odyssey it was for the Odyssey album. Uh, okay. We put that out with Sony Masterworks. And then shortly after, 
Uh, we did like a couple songs off Vessel. We worked with some of our dream producers, which was, you know, part of the reason uh, was because we were with Sony. Uh, but also like, you know, we sent the music and it was like, yeah, this is going to work. This is a good relationship. And then uh, after that, we decided to kind of pursue music independently, uh, which resulted in us, you know, engineering our own records. And man, like there's such a freedom in being able to like comp your own vocal or do five takes and feel really solid about it um, and just come to your music with kind of this idea of uh, this is what I want it to sound like. And then actually fulfilling that execution wise has been really freeing. So was it. I mean, what were the positives and the negatives of being on a label for that release? Yeah. They have, like, really wide distribution. I mean, I still, um, you know, like, we're nerds. We already said that. We still have people who come up to us and find our album, Odyssey, in, like, Barnes & Noble. You know, this was pre-pandemic in, what, 2017 it came out. Um, and so they had really, really uh, wide reach, you know, and... And that's kind of one of the one of the benefits is you know especially now with all the DSPs it's like it's good to have um, someone championing your music may it be a label or uh, someone independent a contractor or someone doing freelance you know like it's good to have um, someone out there helping to promote your stuff you know it's like so hard we have such a hard time as artists you know hyping ourselves up yeah right well that's the kind of con uh too of like anything not just a label is like uh if you're not in charge if you give away you know the responsibility for your own career um even in small doses like you'll find that the only one who's going to be like the most invested in what you're doing is is you so you'll you know and that's not a dig at any it's just the natural way it is you know people have lives going on they have more clients than you and like a lot of stress is going on in their lives and like it's just not like your success is going to be the most important thing to you so that's you know giving that away is like something that we really had to think about all the time um and we still think about it you know we were like how much can we delegate and monitor um and how much should we just handle ourselves you know especially like as diy uh, business owners, you know, from the beginning, uh, we've learned a lot and that's kind of the most important thing to us and why we engineer our own records is like, can we do a good job and do we have the skill set and is it something that needs to be delegated or is it something that is going to be better if we personally invest in it and get what we want out of it? So that's the balance. And, and is it tough to know when and what to delegate at times? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even delegation is hard. I, you know, we, I don't know. I like, we like to do everything ourselves. And so it's sometimes hard to give up control, you know. But there's like, there's certain people in our team who, like, I'm so glad they're handling it, you know? Like, uh, our booking agent, Dennis, is an absolute beast. I love him. And he's so invested, even outside of just the booking aspect. Like, when we, when I did Songwriter Serenade, he flew all the way out to Schulenburg, Texas, to be there while I performed. And, like, that kind of belief in what you're doing is really special, you know? You don't always yeah. see that um, kind of investment on, like, a very human personal level. So finding people like that, like sure. him, like Jay Gilbert, like Amber Beist, like, we are really lucky to actually like the people and love the people and have them love us who are working with us. Um, you know, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Well, is there is there anything else that we didn't we covered your whole lives, right? Is there anything else we didn't bring? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my childhood uh <laughs> no oh, all my trauma well no. you both yeah. you both do come from from musical backgrounds right i mean aren't aren't both sets of your parents uh musicians yeah actually both our dads are pianists and both our moms were vocalists so um it's kind of weird like that um but yeah, yeah. we come from really strange backgrounds. You know, my parents met in Nashville and I was actually born in Nashville and then lived in Michigan for like 20 years uh, when we moved up north. So uh, it's weird. It's kind of full circle to be back down here. Um, and then Kate's yeah. parents, you work, they work in Interlochen. Yeah, my parents work, um, I was born in Wisconsin, but my parents work at an art school in Michigan. And um, where you went? Yeah, yeah, Saf and I both, um, let's see, after we met in public school, uh, the school interlocking uh, started a songwriting program. So mm. Sav and I um, spent some time there. And then uh, basically we lived in Michigan for a long time and, and toured full time, like 250 shows a year um, and tried to move to Nashville in 2020, like the beginning of 2020. And when COVID happened, we moved back up North. And so finally we've, we've been able to make our way back to Nashville and we've been living there for just over one year. And we, we love it. Like talk about collaboration. You know, we've been doing a lot more session work and like Sav said, co-writing and we're still able to tour. Um, so yeah, we're, we're getting into a new, a new flow and we like it a lot. That's great. And do, do your, do your parents uh, collaborate on the tracks at all? Sav, didn't your dad play on a <laughs> track on Odyssey? Yeah, he, he like I said, he plays piano, but he also plays a bunch of other instruments. Uh, and yeah, he actually we just did a Christmas song uh, in which both of our dads played piano and organ on it, and we called them the Axodads, uh, which is great. Um, of course. So, yeah, like collaboration, like I said, is super important. And you know, like my mom is also an incredible writer and a uh, really great vocalist and she's like helped with vocal coaching or helped refine ideas um lyrically and you know it's super important to have i mean it's we're lucky to have that kind of support parentally because i hear all these horror stories of like somebody who's got so much talent who wants to be a musician and that dream just gets like smacked down really early you know is like not uh viable um so you know we're lucky to have parents who you know, they have a realistic and healthy perspective of how music is hard and you have to work super hard to attain certain goals, you know, but at the same time, they like as long as we're game for that and we're willing to put in the work, uh, they're there for us if we need it. So, yeah, that's a really special relationship to have. Well, if you guys don't mind, stay on the line with me for just a second. But in front of our audience, thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, having for having us. All right, my conversation with Sav and Katie of The Accidentals. Um, I think that was great talk. If you would like to support The Accidentals on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash The Accidentals, and you can find out all other information about the band at theaccidentalsmusic.com. And once again, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. And if you'd like to support in a non-monetary way, a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Is, it just takes a second, and it's a huge help. All right, I will chat with you next week. Thanks again for listening.